Okay, so last week we started a study through the book of Philippians. Over the next four weeks, we're going to dig into it. Last week, uh, I looked at it under the title of Find Joy. And we talked about not forgetting what God has done for us in the past. We talked about looking forward to what God is going to do for us in the future and also enjoying and liking what or loving, sorry, what God is doing right now, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't really like it, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable, we got to trust in God that he knows what he's doing, that he's got us, that he is for us, that he loves us and he's doing a good thing. And so this week we're going to continue through this study in Philippians. I'm going to start at the end of chapter one and then later on we're going to dig into the beginning of chapter two. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter one, starting at verse 27. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. And that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. All right, so Paul is continuing in his letter, he's writing this letter of uh, encouragement and challenge to the people of Philippi. But before we get into that, I just want to ask you some questions. Um, So if you are not a British citizen and you move and want to become a British citizen, you have to answer some questions. And these questions are ridiculous. I took a test this week. Thankfully, I failed. I I passed, but it was pure guesswork. Let me test you this morning. It's multiple choice. So I don't know if that makes things easier or harder, but let's give it a go. Are your brains switched on? Which of these is a fundamental principle of British life? Eating fish on a Friday, actively supporting your local football team, participating in community life, or ignoring your neighbours? This is a genuine question. <laughs> this is a genuine question from the, sh- from the form. Excellent. Participating in community life, well done. Question number two, which colonies of the British Empire decided to declare their independence in 1776? Anyone know without the multiple choice? Definitely not. It was America. Top marks to Michael. (laughs) We'll move on. What happened in 1215 to change the powers of the king? The Black Death, the Reform Act, the Doomsday Book or Magna Carta? Magna Carta. Literally no idea what that is. Final question. Let's see how you get on. What is a responsibility? And this is a genuine question. What is a responsibility that you will have as a citizen of the UK? Number one, looking after the environment. Number two, visiting your local pub. Number three, using your car as regularly as possible. Or number four, keeping an allotment. (laughs) These are genuine questions. It's ridiculous. And you need to get 18 out of 24 to pass to become a British citizen. Mental. Pure guesswork, I managed to pass that. Pure guesswork. But what is the relevance? Why why are we doing this? It's a bit of fun, but actually, the opening verse that we read, Philippians 1, 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. You can translate that as, 
live like citizens of heaven. Live like citizens of heaven. And so as Christ followers, the truth is that we don't belong here on earth. We don't belong here. This isn't our home. We're essentially aliens in the world, which sounds a bit weird to say, but that's the truth of it. It says in John chapter 17, I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. And it's interesting here that Jesus isn't saying, take them out of the world. We're meant to be here. He's just saying, while they're here, protect them from the evil one. So we're not of the world, but we are in the world. And we were actually sent into the world for a mission, for a purpose, to share the good news of Jesus, to make disciples. But we must remain true in all of that to God's word. We must remain true through it all. And he says, keep them safe from the evil one. And so what he's saying and what he's recognizing is that actually when you enter into an environment that is not your own, that is not natural, that actually there may come some hostility. There may come some kind of kickback from you being in this world because you stick out a little bit because you're different through your behaviors, through your words, through your language, through your attitude. And people maybe get a little bit affronted by what you're saying, by what you're doing, by the the manner in which you're carrying out your life. And so what he's saying here is that you should be in the world because that's where you have been sent by me with a mission, with a purpose for something right now. But you need to be protected from the evil one, from the enemy, because he's going to try and stop you fulfilling what it is that I've called you to do, what it is that I've put you here for. And so this morning, we're going to dig into a little bit what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. And so let's look at what Paul says, even in the first few verses that we read. He says, standing firm in one spirit and in one mind. He says, standing side by side for the faith of the gospel, fighting together. He says, don't be intimidated or frightened in any way by your enemies. Now, these first three points that we can see from what he's saying to me speak of community. And you can't have community without unity. And so we need to stand together. We need to be of one mind and of one spirit. We, as followers of Christ, are one body. We might look different, we might sound different, we might do different things, but we are part of the same body. And so we need to be united in our common purpose of sharing the gospel, of demonstrating God's love to those around us, not bickering and quarreling amongst ourselves. That's not honoring to God. That's not fulfilling the mission and the purpose that he put us here for. We are to be united. We are to live in community. And you know, the Bible is filled with verses that call us as citizens of heaven to be in community and in unity with one another. Let me just give you a few examples. Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together like this, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Colossians 3, bear with one another and forgive one another. That can be hard sometimes, can't it? 
That can be a challenge, but that's what we're called to do as citizens of heaven. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And Romans 12, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body body, and we all belong to each other. And there's verse after verse after verse in scripture that talks about being in community, about living in unity. Don't be divided. Be patient with everyone. Help the weak carry each other's burdens. Have fellowship with each other. Share meals together. Pray together. Love one another. The Bible talks about it time and time and time again, just to make sure that you get hold of the importance of living in community and being united with one another. We need to stand together. That's part of what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. That as you look around the room and you see other followers of Christ, that they are your brothers and they are your sisters and we should stand with them and we should care for them and we should lift them up when they've fallen and we should cheer with them when they are celebrating. We are one body. We should be united together. And then as we move into chapter two, Paul begins to write what in my Bible is titled Christ's example of humility or if you're reading the new living translation it says have the attitude of Christ and so if you want to know what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven it looks like having the attitude of Christ it looks like having the attitude of Christ and following his example in our own lives and so let's look at what it says Philippians 2 verse 1 it says so if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Our encouragement here, our comfort comes from his love. It comes from his love because as we pursue Jesus, as we walk in step with the spirit, what we find in him is love. It's true, unconditional, radical love. And it's that that will impact us, that will encourage us, that will comfort us. And Paul goes on in verse 2, complete my joy. So what he's saying is, as you live like this, what I'm talking about in my letter to you, as you carry out your lives in this way, it will fill me with joy as a kind of proud planter of this church in the same way that it will bring us joy as followers of Christ, as citizens of heaven, if we live out our lives like this. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And there again is that picture of unity. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so that love that we receive from God as we pursue him, as we press into his presence, it leads to a response of humility. And so then Paul spends the remainder of this portion of scripture talking about humility and and what humility looked like through the person of Jesus Christ and what it is that we should be aiming for and attaining for and striving for in our own lives. Now, Jesus set the perfect example. 
He's like the, the, the gold star performer. And so what we do is try to become imitators of Christ. This side of eternity, I'm not sure we'll ever quite get there. But we can do our best. We can try our hardest. We can look at what he did and marry it up against what we do and say, is this in line? Am I, am I actually living in a way that's honoring to God? Am I looking at what Jesus did and trying to uh, copy that and imitate that in my life? Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Count others more significant than yourselves. Don't think of anyone, don't think only of yourself, but of others. So we need to humble ourselves. This is the example that Jesus lived. We need to humble ourselves, to think of others, to look out for others. And we need to remember that, you know, you don't become humble yourself by your own effort. You become humble as a response to his effort because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of everything that he's done for you and for me. Like we talked about last week, remembering all that God has already done for us, that should naturally bring us to a place of humility where we say, I can't do this without you. I wouldn't be here without you. And so God, I, I humble myself before you. I offer up my life to you as a sacrifice and say, okay, this is who I am. This is all I've got. This is who I, all I am, all, all I can be. So I give it to you. Do with it what you will. I am just a servant of heaven. We have to receive in order to respond. We receive his love and respond with humility. And as we pursue Jesus, we, we become shaped and molded more and more into his image, into his likeness. And that means that we can have a Christ-like attitude. A Christ-like attitude. So we begin to look and we begin to think and we begin to act and speak a little bit more like Christ as we pursue him, as we press into his presence, as we spend time in his word. We become more and more like him. None of us have achieved that yet. We're all working towards it. And so don't think, oh, I'm okay now. I can just coast along for a little bit. We need to spend more time in his presence. We need to spend more time in his word. We need to spend more time seeking him so that we can become more and more and more like him. And so Paul goes on to tell us <clears throat> what that looked like for Jesus, this ultimate example of humility. In verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing that is grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And so, Jesus is God in human form. He took on flesh and came down to earth. And so he had every right, if anyone did, to kind of lord that over people, to see himself as greater than everyone else because he is God. And so he is better than us. He is more powerful. He is more awesome. He is uh, bigger and, and all. He is, he is greater than all of us. And yet when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, he took on human flesh and he was still God. 
And this is something that we need to wrestle with because it's not an easy concept to understand. Jesus was still God and yet he was also fully man. And so in that moment, in his lifetime, he had this choice to make, this decision to make. Do I, uh, do I grasp hold of my godliness or do I empty myself of that and embrace my humanity? And praise God, that's the decision that he made, that actually he gave up all of his divine privileges. And in humility, he became like a servant, like a slave even. And there's a really interesting parallel here. Because in the Garden of Eden, the first Adam grasped for the fruit in order to try to attain godliness. But that became his destruction. And yet the second Adam, Jesus, he didn't grasp for godliness. Instead, he emptied out himself. He gave up his divinity and in his humility, he embraced his humanity and rescued us from that destruction. He rebuilt that relationship with our heavenly father. He built that bridge back again so that we can no longer, so that now we can enter into the presence of God without a fear. That we can be seen by God as holy and righteous because of what he did. Because he didn't choose to, to keep hold of his godliness, but to empty himself out to become as one of us. But then he went on to live this beautiful life this perfect life, this incredible example of how we should live. And so as you read through the Gospels, as you read through the Jesus story, soak it in. Look at everything that Jesus did. Look at the way he lived his life. Look at the words that he spoke of hope, of comfort, of encouragement. He spoke out for the broken. He lifted up the oppressed. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. These are the things that Jesus set out as an example for us. And now we, as citizens of heaven, should be living out our lives in line with Christ. That as we spend more time in his presence, as we spend more time in his word, we can become more and more and more like him. And so Paul's not just demonstrating how much Jesus gave up by, uh, by not attaining to his godliness, but, but making himself as a human. But actually how much Jesus did for us. And he's challenging us with this in verse 5 in the Passion Translation. It says, consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before, her, before us. Let his mindset become your motivation." Let his mindset become your motivation. And so when we look at Jesus and we look at the life that he lived, that should then become our motivation to drive us to be better people, to be better citizens of heaven. That actually when we think about and we just spend some time mulling over the way in which we've lived this past week and we think, okay, maybe there was that one time when I probably shouldn't have done that. And we look back at Jesus and we let his, his mindset become our motivation. And we say, well, God did this and so I want to be more like him. And so we let that push us along and we let that drive us along to become more and more and more like him. To be molded and shaped into the image of Christ. 
And this idea of our minds and our mindset, it's, it's important. And we've talked a lot about it in recent weeks around taking captive thoughts that are not of Christ and bringing things in line with Scripture. Because the enemy is so subtle in his attempts. And this is why I believe Paul was writing, protect them from the enemy. Because actually the enemy is subtle in his attacks and he'll try to get into your thought life and he'll, he'll drop ideas into your mind like he did in the Garden of Eden. And he drops in those doubts, those subtle questions. Did God say that? Did he say that? It's probably okay to do that. I'm sure that, that the line isn't quite there. You could go a little bit further. But we need to marry up these thoughts that we're having with Scripture. We need to marry up these thoughts that drop into our mind with the mindset of Jesus and say, actually, where am I on this scale? Does it sound like something Jesus would say or does it sound like something else? Because if it sounds like something else, we need to take it captive. We need to lock it up and throw it away and bring ourselves back into the mindset of Christ and let that motivate us to become better people. And this is a daily process. This is a daily process, or at least it is for me, that actually we need to recognize in our lives day by day what it is that is dropping into our minds, these thoughts that don't line up with Scripture and say, do you know what? That's not of God. And so I'm going to take it captive. I'm going to throw it away and replace it with truth that is of God. So let's read on in verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so as citizens of heaven, we need to have an attitude of humility like Christ. We need to have a godly mindset to lead us and direct us in how to live in this manner that is worthy of him. And we also need to live a life of obedience, even if it costs us. A life of obedience, even if it costs us. And you know, you can be forced or coerced into obedience. You can be made to, to do something by someone, but that's not what God wants. And so he gave us free will. He allowed us the, the chance and the freedom to make choices. And so what he's looking for and hoping for is that actually we will choose to be obedient. Not because he's like bending our arms behind our back and, or holding a gun to our heads, but because he, he's demonstrated through his life the amount of love that he has for us as his children. And he said, well, this is how much I love you, so I just hope that you would choose to obey me. And so we have the freedom to make that choice. Knowing what we know about God knowing how Jesus lived his life, knowing the sacrifice that he made for us, do we now choose to live in obedience with him? Even though there's a cost. Even though there's a cost. And as you read the Jesus story, you'll see throughout everything that actually there was a cost even for the disciples as they, uh, as they went through their ministry, as they followed Jesus. There was a cost throughout scripture. We see it time and time again. And so we have this choice. Do we choose to obey our Father? Do we stick to the truth of his word, even though it might cost us our reputation? It might cost us our comfort. It might cost us our financial security. 
Jesus said, no one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. Not just some things, everything. You've got to give up everything to follow him. Are you willing to follow him? Even though there's a cost? Are you willing to follow him? Abraham offered up his son. Moses gave up a plush life in Pharaoh's palace. Peter gave up his family and his business. Matthew gave up his high salary as a tax collector. Paul gave up this prestigious position of being a Pharisee. And time and time again, we see people sacrificing something in order to follow Christ. There's a cost to this. There's a cost to our obedience. And so let's just finish this portion of scripture, uh, picking it up from verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so that verse to to work out your salvation, it means to live out everything that we've been talking about this morning in our lives. So we're talking about, about having humility, about having a mindset of Christ, about living a life of obedience. So to work out your faith means to let your life be an outworking of all of the stuff we've just been talking about, to live that out. Because if we have faith in Christ, then we know that that's what he's asking of us. And so if we believe that he is for us, if we believe that he has got the best for us, if we believe that he's got plans for us and a purpose for us, then we will live out this life of faith. We'll take what God has given us and we'll live it out in our lives. It's a little bit like a conductor who's got an amazing musical composition in front of him. But the notes don't just jump off the page, do they? The notes aren't going to play themselves. And so he stood there with his music in front of him and the orchestra is all here, but it's not going to play itself. He's got to read the music and then the orchestra's got to play their part. We're the orchestra. We've got to play our part and each one is different. Each one has their own unique role to play and what you'll find, or at least the, the keenest ear will find, that is if, if one instrument isn't playing or if one instrument is playing wrong, then it won't quite sound right. It won't be what was intended in the beginning. And maybe I'm stretching this analogy a little bit far, but we've got to play our part and we've got to do it to the best of our ability and then God's beautiful picture of what the world should be like will look perfect. Because we're all doing what it is that he's called us to do. But what about the, we're working out our faith, but what about the fear and trembling? Well, there's got to be a respect for the conductor. Because he's got authority. I don't know if you've ever watched an orchestra, but it's, it's quite incredible when there's, there's tens, if not more, people, each with their own uh, specialities of instrument. And then this one man with a little white stick waving it about, and it, it doesn't always make sense to some of us, but they are following his instruction. They're doing what it is that he's telling them to do. I saw this incredible thing uh, on YouTube this week. It was a, 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 live, a live audience choir, 
And so I didn't know the guy who was doing it, but he had this audience who were obviously very prepared for what was about to happen. And so there were thousands of people in this audience, in this, in this uh, theater, and he'd given them each a part to sing. And he'd, so he'd be like, okay, you guys are my altos or whatever, and this is what you're going to do, and you guys are going to do this, and you guys are going to do this. And he's just one man on stage, never met any of these people. And he starts them off singing, just a note, not words, just a note. So these guys start to sing. Shall we do it here? No, no probably not. So he starts these, guys, he starts these guys off, and they're singing. And then he starts the next guys off in the middle doing a different key, and they're singing, and it sounds beautiful. And then he starts the next ones off, and they're doing it. And, it sounds, and then he's doing this, and their volume is getting louder, and then he brings it down. And they followed him with such precision. It was absolutely mind-blowing. It was incredible because there was this level of respect and authority for the person who was leading them. And so we look to Jesus as our conductor, as our choir master, as our leader, because he sees the big picture. He knows what can be accomplished if we work together. He knows that actually if we all play our part and if we all live in obedience to him and we all have a mind like Christ and we all have a bit of humility to say, okay, I trust in you, then things will look and things will sound so beautiful, more beautiful than we could ever imagine. And that's what it looks like to be citizens of heaven it's about faith it's about trust it's about confidence in the one that we follow and so Paul is urging us to a a joyful and a constant obedience to Christ and with all humility recognizing that that it's through his strength and not our own so that he gets the glory because you might be sat in the choir and you might be singing your note and it might sound amazing but it would sound a bit feeble without everyone else. And it wouldn't sound great at all without the conductor telling you what to do. And so we need to have that respect. We need to have that authority that actually it's through him and not ourselves that gets things done. And then let's let's just read on the final portion. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That's how Joanne started this morning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And so there it is. That's the call of what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven. That we are not of this world, but we have been sent into this world. Why? To be like lights in the darkness. To be like lights in this dark world. And that's becoming more and more challenging by the day. I don't know about you, but the way that things are shifting in in our society and across the world, in order to stand true to what the Bible says, is becoming harder and harder. And actually, the cost is becoming greater and greater. And I believe it will get greater still. That actually, there will come a time 
We have it easy over here. But there will come a time even in this country where you will need to make a decision. Am I actually going to stay true to what it says in the word of God? Or am I, going to be, am I going to bend because society tells me that this is the direction that we're heading? That's going to take courage. That's going to take boldness. That's going to take an assurance of faith and a belief and a trust in the word of God that what it says in this book is true. And I'm going to let it take root in my soul and in my spirit so that when the the pressure comes to bend or to break what we think and what we believe, that actually our roots will be deep and we'll have the strength to say, do you know what? That doesn't line up with a Christ-like mindset. That actually that doesn't look like me being obedient to God. And we want to honor and respect the, the powers of the world because they have been put there And it says in the Bible that we should respect them, but it also says that we should obey his word. And so when the conflict comes, when the two don't quite match up, that's when we need to make a decision. Are we of this world or are we just in this world? That's a challenge. And I pray that each and every one of us will have the the boldness and the courage to stand firm in our faith and stand true to the word of God. He has called us to be citizens of heaven, to shine as lights in this dark world. You know, Moses, after being in the presence of God up the mountain, when he came down, it says he was glowing. I love that picture. He was literally glowing. He radiated God's glory because he'd spent some time in the presence of God. And so I hope and I pray that actually as we spend time with God, whether it's here on a Sunday corporately or whether you're alone in your quiet time, that actually as you spend time with your heavenly father, that his glory will come upon you and you'll leave that place radiating his love. And so people will look at you and they'll maybe not see a physical glowing, or maybe, But through your lifestyle, through your words, through your attitude, through the way that you love and the way that you give, that actually they'll see some of his glory radiating through our lives. Because if we're citizens of heaven and not citizens of this earth, we should look different. We should sound different. We should act different. If we press into God's presence... And let that produce in us a lifestyle of humility. If we allow our minds to be transformed, if we live a life of obedience to him, then we will shine as lights in this dark and broken and hurting world. So church, we've got to be united. That's where he starts. That's where we started this morning. We've got to be as one. We've got to be our biggest cheerleaders and our biggest supporters. If there is any bickering going on amongst us, let's sort it out. Let's fix it. Let's resolve it so that actually we can be stronger together. Let's humble ourselves, recognizing that actually we are only here by the grace of God. We sing that song, don't we? It's your breath in my lungs. We can only sing praises to God because he gives us the breath to do so. It's amazing. So our lives are for him and through him and by him. So we've got to have that humility. 
We've got to have a Christ-like mindset. Is what I'm thinking, is what I'm saying, is what I'm doing, is it in, in line with Christ, with how he lived, with how he walked? We've got to come into obedience with God's word, even when there's a cost. And let that create in us a light that shines in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for everything. God, I thank you that you are just so awesome. When we look at creation, I just pray that it will fill us with awe. When we look at the world around us and we think about just the mind-bogglingness of space and all of that stuff, that actually we'll recognize just how amazing you are. And that actually you care for us as individuals. That you know us each by name. You knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. You know how many hairs there are on our head. God, you care for us as individuals, as your sons and as your daughters. God, I thank you that you call us to be citizens of heaven that we don't need to go through some ridiculous test to pass it. There's only one question that you need us to answer to become a citizen of heaven, as that is, do you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Do you invite him into your life? And are you willing to live a life of obedience to him? God, I thank you that it's as simple as saying yes. That it's as simple as saying yes. That's it. And so, God, I pray that, that your spirit working in us and through us will help us to, to live this life that we've been talking about this morning, that we will live in unity with one another, that we, will, uh, that we will have a mindset that is in line with you, that we will live a life of obedience, God, even when it's costing us. God, I pray more and more that as time goes on, you will give us the strength and the boldness and the courage to be obedient to the truth of your word and not bend to society.